I don't know why, but every time I watch that video, I'm hungry for a falafel. Anyone else? Or... <laughs> hey, let me give you, before we get started, let me give you some pastoral advice this 4th of July. Um, be careful out there. Seriously, I don't know about your neighborhood, but my neighborhood is like a war zone. It's crazy. Uh, and I, I have an HOA. Um, but on the 4th of July, it doesn't matter. It's like the purge in my neighborhood. It is unbelievable. <laughs> Seriously, there are bands of roaming teenagers on mini bikes shooting Roman candles at anything that will move. <laughs> last, last year, not, no joke, no exaggeration. We had come back from a, a fireworks show. It was, you know, it was, it was dark, but barely dark. And, um, I come into our neighborhood and, and I live on the west side and one whole street is just like, the neighbors took over the street and built a bonfire in the middle of the road. And I'm like, I guess I get closer, I realize a couple things. One, it's not a bonfire, it's a stack of fireworks. And two, the ringleader is my neighbor who goes to New Heights Church. <laughs> I will not give you his name, but as I rolled down the window, he said, go, Pastor, go, 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 we're lighting it up right now. <laughs> So Ruth and I, um, we hide in our house now with the lights off and we lay low at, on the 4th of July. Well, hey, welcome back to our, our series on Joseph, trusting God's goodness in our, in our suffering. If you have your, your Bibles or Bible devices, if you haven't turned there already, please turn to Genesis chapter 43. And we'll be covering the rest of Genesis 43 and all of Genesis 44. So we're walking through the story of the life of Joseph. And, and what we've been looking at is the lower story of these biblical characters, meaning um, the details of their, their lives. So there's Joseph, and he has some awful brothers, and he gets sold into slavery in Egypt. There's the dad called Jacob, who appears to be... Um, passive and definitely he plays favorites and the brothers, well, they're just a total mess. And these are some of the details of the lower story. All of us have details in our own lower stories. But over all of it, we praise God, right? We have the upper story. The upper story is, is God's at work, both in the lives of Joseph and his brothers. And two weeks ago, we began to see the process of God um, bringing about repentance in the lives of Joseph's brothers. And you may recall that we said God is not only pursuing righteous Joseph, but God is pursuing the unrighteous brothers. And we said pray for those unrighteous people in, in your lives. Pray for those people who, like Joseph's brothers, have done things to you, and you're like, oh, man, it's hard. But pray that God would pursue them as, as well. And two weeks ago, we see the hearts of the brothers begin to turn towards God, but will it stick? Is it real? This morning, we'll find out. Now, some quick review um, of last week. Kevin Todd, by the way, if you haven't watched it or heard it, do it. It's unbelievable. As always, Kevin taught that God was at work in Jacob's life. And, and Jacob is the patriarch of the family, and God was teaching Jacob that he had to learn to trust God and open his hand to that which he held on most dearly, the things that he loved the, the most above anything else. And initially, it was Joseph. Like, boy, he loved Joseph. Joseph was the, the favored son of his wife, Rachel. Rachel died, and he thinks Joseph has died. And the only one left out of those three is Benjamin. And, and Kevin pointed out that he held on to Benjamin. He made Benjamin a god in his, his life. 
Benjamin was his one thing. Lord of the Rings, he was his precious. And Kevin challenged us, what's your one thing? What's that thing that you know you've placed above God and you need to let go of it? Well, Jacob had to come to the place where he let go of Benjamin. He didn't want to, but God brought him to that place, and he ended up doing just that. Another thing we saw from last week is Jacob says, if you're going to go back to Egypt um, to say you're sorry for accidentally ripping off one of the most powerful men in the world, you better bring gifts. And sort of a, he's a best of Canaan, a best of Holy Land gift bag. And that brings us now to our, our text. In our text this morning, we're going to see um, three things. The setting, and then a test, and then we'll talk about the only way to freedom. So first off this morning, the setting, we get the brothers hanging out. The brothers are chilling together. Genesis 43 and verse 15. So the men took the gifts and double the amount of silver, and Benjamin also, that was the deal, and they hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. Now, hurry down to Egypt is a two-month is a two-month journey. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. Remember, no freezers, food was fresh, uh, there to eat with me at noon. Now, this house steward is a fascinating character. We're going to see him numerous times throughout our text this morning. So just keep that in mind. Verse 17, the man, the steward, did as Joseph told him, and he took the men to Joseph's house. This is a little strange. This is the second most powerful man in the kingdom. This is the second most powerful man, arguably, in the world. These are just some Hebrews, despised Hebrews. Now, the men were frightened when they were taken to his house, you think? And they thought we were um, um, brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks for the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and sees us as slaves. And I always love this last phrase, and take our donkeys. <laughs> they, they had like the Tesla of donkeys, like the Maserati of donkeys. <laughs> Don't do anything. Don't take our donkeys, right? So the brothers were afraid they might be killed or, or imprisoned because of the silver found in their sacks. So now they slip in. Who wouldn't? They slip into spin mode. Verse 19, so they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. Verse 22, we have also brought additional silver um, with us to buy food. We don't know who put it, who put our silver in our sacks. Basically, the brothers say um, there was a clerical error. There was a mix-up. Um, here's the, the best of Canaan gift bag, some additional money, silver. Are we okay? Are we good? Can we just say we're even on this? Here comes the steward again. Now catch this, verse 23. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. You're God. The God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Now, wait a second. How does an Egyptian steward know about their God, specifically the God of their father? What inside information does this Egyptian steward have about um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? 
I don't know. Could this guy named Joseph have been living out a little salt and light in his presence? The text doesn't tell us, um, but it sure feels like Joseph has been living out the ethos of Yahweh in the presence of the royal household. This is no small thing. Some scholars say that um, in Egypt, there were up to 15,000 gods that were worshipped at that time. And here's Joseph presenting the one true God. I can just hear him saying, I may be living in a foreign land, beard shaved, different clothing, royal title. And as the song says, I may walk like an Egyptian, but the reality is I'm still a child of the only true God. And that's going to leak out of my pores in, in how I talk, how I live, how I work. And that's always the challenge for us, right? We'll talk about this in a few weeks. The secular and the sacred. The sacred and the secular. I think sometimes we, we, we divide those things up. It's like, man, Sunday is my, is my safe space or community group is my safe space. And that's where I really love Jesus. And God is, is begging us, so to speak, to really love Jesus in your workplace, in your secular space. And it appears pretty obvious that that's what Joseph is doing. Back to the story. While the steward and the brothers were talking, they bring Simeon out of jail. We just read that, verse 24. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided um, fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts that had um, they brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. Verse 27, he asked them how, how they were, and then he said, hey, by the way, how's your, your old... Your old dad, your Asian father, is he, is he still living? Now remember, during this process at various times, Joseph's been revealing himself to the brothers. Little hints here are there, but they don't recognize him. So he's asking about their father because it's actually been eight months since Joseph was last with the brothers. And the brothers say in verse 28, um, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, um, prostrating themselves before him. I know you caught this, but just in case you missed it, in verses 26 and 28, they fulfilled Joseph's dreams that were given in chapter 37. Now in verse 29, man, this is a moment. He catches eye contact with his full brother, Benjamin. And as he looked, he saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, and he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. He blesses him. He blesses him. It's been 22 years. He was either a teenager or even younger than that when Joseph last saw him. And he blesses him. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, he, Joseph hurried out and he looked for a place to, to weep. He went into his private room and he wept there. And I don't think it's because he's embarrassed, but he needs to keep up the charade, right? Why? Because he's, he's trying to find out if the lower story of the brothers, the brothers' lives is being influenced by the upper story of God. He's trying to find out, have these guys really changed? Verse 31, after he washed his face, he came out and, and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. And they served uh, him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. So ethically and religiously, they can't eat together. And we're reminded, sadly, 
that racist and prejudiced tendencies have been around since the fall, right? In every country and every people group, and that's just what sin, sin does. And then something peculiar happens. Verse 33, the men had been seated before him in the order of their, of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment, like, what's going on here? When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and they drank freely with him. All that was the setting, the brothers hanging out. And now the lower story and the upper story are about to collide as we see Joseph put his brothers to one final test. Seriously, the last one. Turn to Genesis chapter 44 if you haven't already. And while you're turning there, let me summarize the first 16 verses. The steward loads the brothers up with food and he plants um, Joseph's silver cup in Benjamin's sack. No sooner do the boys get out of town that Joseph sends his steward after them to accuse them of stealing the cup. Here we go again. The brothers protest that they're innocent and agree that if anyone has stolen the cup, um, we'll be Joseph's slave. Like, this isn't going to happen to us again. We checked our bags, but somehow the steward slipped it in. They're like, hey, if you find that thing, we'll all be your slaves. Well, guess what? They discover the cup in Benjamin's sack, and they all return and agree to be slaves. And, and the questions arise for us as readers. Is this troubling? I mean, are, are we surprised that Joseph would indulge in such behavior? If we are, I don't think we are by this point. But if we are, then we're, we're missing what Joseph is doing. Joseph is trying to find out if his brothers have changed. He wants to know if they've repented or not. Verse 17, but Joseph said, and here's the test, far be it um, from me to do such a thing, enslave all the brothers. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave, Benjamin. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Now here's the test. Is anyone going to stand up for Benjamin? 22 years ago, they did the exact opposite. They not only didn't stand up for Joseph, but they, they sold him to slave traders. Judah speaks up. Verse 19, my Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, yeah, we do. We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. And Judah continues to appeal on behalf of, of Jacob. Verse 32, your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before, before you, my father, all my life. Verse 33, now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Now, the word for guarantee in the Hebrew is a word that is sometimes translated surety. The NIV translated, as we just read, um, a guarantee of safety. In other words, Judah 
puts up his life as a pledge to return Benjamin safely home. Judah offered to trade his life to save Benjamin. Judah was not going to let what happened to Joseph happen again. And we're all thinking, wait a second. Is this the same guy? Remember, God pursued righteous Joseph. God is pursuing the unrighteous brothers. I mean, does anybody remember Judah from earlier in our study of Genesis? Judah was the brother who came up with the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. Judah was part of the scheme to tear up Joseph's coat and cover it in animal blood and then lie to dad for 22 years. A week after uh, Judah's, a week, a week after Judah's wife died, as Kevin uh, talked about last week, he went partying with some, some friends and he slept with a woman he thought was a prostitute. This, this Judah. It turned out to be his daughter-in-law who was trying to ensure that she would have an heir because Judah wouldn't fulfill his obligations. I mean, Judah was about as messed up as they come. Here's the amazing part, and I want you to think about this. Through the work of Holy Spirit, people change. Can anybody in here testify to that? Judah changed. Any Judas in here? How's the Judah? Through the work of Holy Spirit, people change. He went from the guy who would sell his own brother into slavery to become the guy who would give his life to save his brother, even when it looked like his brother was guilty. Let me state the obvious. Joseph's tests end up being a good thing. Joseph, Judah, and the rest of the brothers were different men. There would have been no way to know it unless they were tested to reveal the truth. But without a doubt, the most amazing part of the story is what happened with Judah. Judah's life was transformed by the grace of God. He went from a complete mess to someone who was willing to um, give his life to save his brother from slavery and, and death. Does this sound familiar at all? Do we see a, a New Testament corollary here? Thousands of years later, a descendant of Judah called the Lion of the tribe of Judah named Jesus did the same thing. He gave his life so that each of us, his brothers and sisters, would not be enslaved to sin and face eternal death. In Judah's actions, we see the gospel message of Jesus. So, how do we embrace this message? Lastly, this morning, we embrace this message only by confession and repentance, and that is the only way to freedom. Let me do this. Let's talk first about confession. I want you to take some notes now if you haven't been. I know we've been moving fast. I'll slow down just a little bit here. This is, uh, we're working towards a definition here. This is kind of my definition of confession. Confession is to confess before God and ourselves and another person the exact nature of our sins. Let me say that again. Confession is to confess before God and ourselves and another person the exact nature of our sins. 
Let me explain. First off, we confess to God. Why? Because um, he is the one who ultimately all of us are accountable to. Secondly, we confess to ourselves. We confess to ourselves because if we can't come clean with ourselves, we'll never come clean. But you say, wait, hold on, Lee. I, I get the first two confessions, but this whole confessing to somebody else, another person, I don't know about that. Here's what I want you to see and write this down. We confess to another person because sin grows in the dark and sin grows in isolation. We confess to another person because sin grows in the dark. And sin grows in isolation. If we're trying to walk um, a, 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 in our sin alone, especially without confession to God or ourselves, we can't be surprised if sin continues to reign in our lives. So confession is bringing our sin out into the light. Now get this, with no spin, no self-preservation, no yeah, but, no, but my parent, yeah, but you see, it, my wife, man, my boss, No denial. And when we do this, James tells us in the New Testament that the healing process begins. James chapter 5 and verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to who? Each other. Each other. And pray for each other so that you might what? Be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let me be really clear here. Um, we're not the ones who heal one another. The Lord is the one who heals. Um, why do we confess to one another? So we can lift each other up to the one who heals. Please do not come to me and try and get absolution for your sins. Okay? I have no authority to forgive sin. Only God and God alone can forgive sin. But I can certainly lift you up to the Father. And he can forgive and heal. Now let me just pause here with the word of caution. It's so easy to say, hey, you know, it's not me who's the sinner, but it's all those people. I don't mean to, to break your heart here, but you are those people. I am those people. In fact, Psalm 51 in verse 5 says that all of us were sinful at birth. Sinful from the time our mother um, conceived us. Let me ask you a question, and I, and I know you do. Anyone in here have toddlers? Just raise your hand if you have a toddler. Okay. Um, this is really important. If you have a toddler, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have to train your toddler to be selfish. Why? They come by it naturally. You know that, right? They come by, unless you're a grandparent, right? When you're a parent, you're like, I see their sin. When you're a grandparent, you're like, oh no, it's okay. Light the house on fire, baby. That's all right. <laughs> Forget grandparents. But parents, you're like, ah. And for, and for, I would say probably for most in this room, you're raising your toddlers in a great environment. And yet what? They still sin like all the time. Why? Because all of us are sinful from birth. We're all people in need of confession because we're all living in sin. Now, um, for some people, sin is more sophisticated or well hidden. Or sometimes you hear people say this, I I'm really not, I'm really not that bad. I'm, I'm, by and large, I'm a good person compared to whom? Compared to the kidnapper you saw on the news on TV last night? Yeah, maybe, but that's not how it works. 
This isn't about you compared to the worst of the worst. This is about you and I compared to what? A holy God. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. All of us become like one who was unclean. Now get this. All of our righteous acts. You're like, I'm pretty good. You are? Yeah, I do some good things. Okay. All of our righteous acts are like what? Filthy rags. Now, compared to your neighbor who may or may not cook meth in his garage, are you good? Yeah, maybe. But compared to God, it's a hard no. Every single one of us stands guilty compared to God. So what do we do? Well, more often than not, we start to hide, like, like the garden, right? We start to manipulate. We start to blame. But we love the blame game, don't we? We hide, we manipulate, we blame. Tell me if this relates to someone you know or someone you see in the mirror every morning. If we say something like this, nobody needs to know. Hey, it was a long time ago. Um, it won't happen again. Or, or I got this. I can take care of it. My little secret's not that big a de deal. Hey, 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 Lee, it's not hurting anybody else. If that's the language we're sharing, then we're, we're in need of confession in a big way because we're trying to manage sin, and sin can't be managed. It'll devour us. Let's say, if you could, you can't, thank you, Jesus, but if you could, buy a little lion cub. You buy this little lion cub, right? That's so cute! I love my little lion. Look at him! Oh, wow, look at, I'm not going to try and purr. That would be really weird. But he's purring. He's sweet. He nibbles on your ear. And then you feed him. And you feed him. And you feed him. And he grows up to what? Eat you. That's what sin does. That's what sin does. Every single time. So what happens when we live with unconfessed sin? Uh, we looked at these verses two weeks ago, but they're really powerful. I, I, wanna, I want us to look at them again. Psalm 32, David, King David, the man after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel, um, should have been fighting with his troops. He wasn't. By the way, that's, that was sin. He was called to lead and he wasn't. Instead, he was chilling on his rooftop and he saw Bathsheba and he's like, whoa. And she was bathing and he should have looked away. Instead, he leered over the ledge. Second look, right? Third look, fourth look. He's like, I gotta have her. Sends, he's the king, he gets whatever he wants, sends over some of his stewards, and they grab her, has sex with her. She gets pregnant. He's like, uh-oh. Push, 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 push. Open the door, shove it in. Uh-oh, what do I do now? I'm, hey, I need to bring her husband who is being faithful and fighting. I need to bring her husband back and have him sleep with her, and then whew, everything's good. It'll be his baby, wink, wink. But he's too noble to do that. He's like, no, no, I'm supposed to be with my men fighting. 
So he won't do it. And so finally he's like, okay, send him up to the front line and you guys all retreat, leave him exposed and hopefully he'll get killed. And he does. And then David sits on this for at least, at least nine to 12 months. He pushes it down. And finally, Nathan, the prophet, by the way, pray for Nathans in your life. People who will say hard things to you in Jesus' name because they love you and care for you. So many of us, we just go unchecked our whole life and no one says a word to us until it's too late. Nathan's like, no, I need to go tell the king what he did was wrong. And finally, David says this, verse three, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of of summer. Let me just say this. When we hide our sin or hold our sin down, it's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. You ever do that? I grew up with a pool. Um, Overrated. I had to clean it all the time. Bummer. Right? Um, And we had beach balls. And we'd grab those beach balls, my buddies and I were like, who can hold it the longest? You'd, ah, you'd come up. You'd push it back. Ah, just over and over and over. You grab it, you bring it back under. You grab it, you bring it back under. It pops up. And our lives are spent in hiding and denial and guilt. How much better would it be to say um, to God, ourselves, and to others, this is what's going on. I'm laying it all out. I confess all my sin before you. You've heard me say this before. Uh, let me repeat it. Um, what the devil loves is darkness. He loves hiddenness. Transparency he doesn't know what to do with because if we're transparent, he has no ammunition to use to shame us and to keep us from being all that we can be. I was just reading Proverbs yesterday. It says that a person with a guilty conscience is always looking for a bear. You know what I'm talking about? You're always waiting to be attacked. You're always waiting for the, the shoe to drop. What? Where's that bear? Please hear this. God did not create us, his children, to live with unconfessed sin. He's got a much better plan, a much better plan for our lives. And it's not sin management, but it's confession. Proverbs 28, verse 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces Renounces them, finds mercy. Anyone you could use some mercy? First John chapter one, verse five. This is the message we've heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So what's the solution? Verse 9, 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. You you know the word that jumped out to me in this passage, and I've read it like many of you hundreds and hundreds of times. All. All. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I know some of you are thinking, because I first I, I first um, thought it when I became a follower of Jesus. Now, wait a second. Are you sure? Because I, I, I got a whole lot of things that I need forgiveness for. The Apostle Paul said, I am the chief of all sinners. The gospel purifies us from all unrighteousness and sets us free, and that allows us to take the next step. So there's confession, and that's followed up with repentance. Let's start with a a quick definition of repentance. To change one's way. To change one's direction. To make a U-turn. To abandon the old and pursue the new. To turn away from our old pattern of sin and turn to God. J.I. Packer, the late J.I. Packer, amazing theologian, had this to say about repentance, and I quote, repentance is more than just sorrow for the past. Repentance is a change of mind and heart, a new life of denying self and serving the Savior as king in self's place. Here's something I've heard for years. I didn't make it up. I wish I did. I think it's pretty cool. Um, If you always do what you've always done, you'll be what you've always been. So if you don't like the way things are going, change the way you do things. That's repentance. So many of us, we get stuck in the same old um, pattern of life, and we think that's the only way to do life. And I'm here to tell you it's not. That's the enemy. That's, that's who you are. That's who you always be. That's your identity. It was your dad. It was your granddad. It was your mom. It was your grandmother. It's generational sin. Your identity can't be changed. Sorry, it's just your DNA. There's another way. And it starts with confession of sin and the need for God's grace in our lives. And then by his power, we're able to turn and repent. By the way, um, you need to hear this. Repentance is not morally pulling up our bootstraps where we choose to be done with the old life. That's a moralistic response to sin, and it's short-lived, and it's ineffective. And I know many of you have lived that way. Even as followers of Jesus, it's easy to get caught up in, in moralism, like the Pharisees, right? I'm just checking all the boxes, and, and I'm, uh, I have a list of things that I do, do's and don'ts. I'm going to choose to quit doing this or that. And I would just say, good luck with that. It won't work. It's not about moralistic turning in our own strength. Well, Lee, Lee, what is it? Well, write this down. I want you to see it behind me. Repentance is turning toward towards God by God's help with others. Now, you're, you're like, oh, you just threw this thing in, which is why we come to church. It's why we go to community group. It's why some of you get up at six in the morning and you meet with a group of guys or a group of gals and you have discipleship or accountability. We, all those things, all the time. Hey, look, if it's just about content, please hear this. There are better communicators on a podcast than me. You can be home in your jammies right now, hearing waffles, hearing better teachers than me. If it's just about content, 
We come to church because we need each other. Like I sit in community group uh, or discovery or whatever it might be, and I'm like, man, I just heard a story um, that just rocked my world. I just heard someone confess something that's in my life. I just had someone next to the cheese dip rebuke me, and I needed it. Seriously, that happened. (laughs) We come to church because we need each other. We come to church because we're in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our confession and repentance. And we need to do that with others who are also doing that. Hey, it's why in sobriety, if we're trying to get sober, we go to recovery meetings. Why? Because you can't get sober alone. Because if we could get sober alone, we'd all be sober. And sadly, so many of us are turning to the old life because we're alone and we're isolated. And you know this is true. Think about it, right? Think about it. Every time, I mean, every single time we watch that National Geographic wildlife special and that one lone antelope with a limp, right? Strays from the pack, we're like, oh no! No, maybe it'll work. Maybe he'll get away. Never. Lunch. Every single time. Are the one who's not hurt, and he's just kind of unaware, just doing his own. You know, no, dude, get back with the pack. What are you doing? Like the pack, in the pack, their senses are heightened. The pack is moving. The pack is fleeing. The pack is keeping each other accountable. And there's that one antelope. I'm going to go over here and get some grass, man. You're like, no, no. Lunch. And I won't speak for the rest of the world, even though I have a pretty good idea, especially in the third world, it's hard to get as isolated as we can in first world America. But in first world America, you can never leave your house. I've got some neighbors who never leave their house. They're wearing out the DoorDash guy. It's crazy. You're like, man, is he picking on me because I use DoorDash? No. I'm just saying we got to leave the house. If we're able. The reason we do life together as a community of faith is because we need each other. Because if we start walking away on our own, we're lunch. Sin is like a a roaring lion, seeking whom it may devour. Here's a verse um, I've read for years. (laughs) Again, hundreds of times. And, and Holy Spirit, and this is, again, why we need to read the Bible every single day, all the time, because the Spirit of God will take the Word of God, even though we've read it hundreds of times, and he'll present it in a new and different way. That's why Hebrews 4 says that the Word of God is alive and active. So I've been reading this passage for years, but when I read it and in, in, in doing prep for this, I went, oh, my word, this came out totally different. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, um, flee the evil desires of youth. And pursue righteousness, faith, uh, uh, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Did you catch that? See, for years I made it about me. But the verse says what? Along with those. Along with those. Flee evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with other people. Do it on Sunday. Do it in community group. Do it in discipleship. Do it together. Do it over a cup of coffee. Do it. Do it. I love how Acts chapter 3 
puts repentance. And I'm just about done. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Um, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I just wrote this down. Repentance equals refreshing. It's so funny. We see repentance in, in our culture, especially in, in movies, right? And it's always some crazy dude with the sign, repent. You're like, ah, repentance is terrible. No, no. Repentance brings refreshing. Like clean slate. Like I'm laying it all out. I'm confessing, I'm turning, and I'm refreshed. Darkness brings despair. Hiddenness brings sorrow. Hey, maybe you're here right now, and you're like, I need some refreshing. Maybe you're here right now, and you want to confess and and repent, and you're like, I'm a mess, and I need Jesus, but um, he wouldn't want me in this state. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of, of the gospel is that Jesus pursues us, not when we start acting better or have it all together, but he pursues us while we were yet sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The Bible says that he came for the sick and not the healthy. At this time, I want um, the worship team to come back up. And those of you who are on, on the prayer team, come on up. And if you're here this morning and you're like, I, I'd like to confess this, I'll be down here as well. You don't need to confess to me, though. But you're like, I want to confess to somebody, like right now. Maybe it's for salvation. Maybe you're just a follower of Jesus and you've been living in darkness and you're like, no more, I'm done with that. I've confessed it to God, I've confessed it to myself, I've confessed it to my spouse, or, or, but I need, I need more. I want to tell somebody else and I want to be prayed for. The prayer team is on my right and my left and they'd love to talk with you and pray with you. So when I finish praying, come on up. Or maybe you already have a, a, a group, which is awesome, a group of friends. Could be your community group or people where you take communion every Sunday. By the way, we're going to take communion here in just a minute. Um, on your own, communion tables are to my right and my left and kind of all around the room. And we're, we call this our ministry time. It's a time not just to come up and confess and pray, but also to remember. Um, by the way, Paul said, before you take communion, confess. Right? Some of you are taking communion with sin in your heart and it, it's not going real well. Confess. Maybe you just get in your group and just confess some things. Um, now's the time to do that. Once a month, our, you may have noticed Kevin Pope, one of our elders, was up here praying uh, the giving prayer and praying for the talk. Um, not only do our elders do that, of course they pray all the time, they're awesome, but once a month, the first Sunday of the month, off to my right, um, there'll be some elders and their wives and they want to pray for you. It could be for salvation. It could be for your marriage. It could be, it could be for healing. It could be for just parenting, whatever it might be. They want to pray with you. These are incredibly godly people who love Jesus and love you and they want to lay hands and pray for you. Maybe you're here this morning and 
that baptismal um, freaks you out, not not because it's you know it's up on a stand and you're like, what is it? That is a little strange, but that's okay. It's what God gave us. But maybe you're here and you're like, I know I need to do that. Jesus commanded me to get baptized. I need to do that. So you be obedient. Let's do it today. We would love that. Okay, let me pray. Father, thank you for the gospel that makes us new. And remind us today that uh, confession and repentance are only for new believers, but repentance and confession are for all of us who call Jesus Savior and Lord because we still need the power of your grace and forgiveness in our lives every single day and every single moment. Thank you, Father, for taking our lower stories just like Joseph and his brothers and connecting them to your upper story through confession and repentance. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.